there's really interesting connection between our coping mechanisms and limiting beliefs because they both come about from our past experiences, right? If we take those away, we're left with not only all of the emotions that we were suppressing and trying to ignore, but we also feel as if we don't know ourselves and we don't know how to work through challenging situations. Our hobbies, and I like to even just say the things that bring us joy and pleasure, which we're not always very good about doing, yeah. contribute to our identity. And when we start to build those up and explore them, just going out and doing things that I liked outside of food and exercise and all of that stuff, it helped to really create this fuller picture of remembering not only who I was, but also deciding who I wanted to be. And when you mm -hmm. combine all of those things, it's very powerful and fully getting to recovery because if you don't have a life that feels worth recovering for or healing for, you're not going to stay in that recovered space. Welcome back to the North Star Podcast. Today, I have the beautiful, the inspiring Mallory Page on the show. Mallory is a Food Freedom registered dietitian and such a beautiful light. I'm honestly just so thrilled to share her with you guys. If you're not already familiar with her, she has a incredible podcast called Seems Like Diet Culture. She also used to have a fairly prominent YouTube channel. She's on Instagram. She's on all the things still. Um, but yeah, her podcast is such a beautiful place to get to know her and get to know her message. So she's really all about helping women transform their relationship with food and body image when nothing's worked before. And the reason I want to have Mallory on is because Everything that she discusses is a massive part about what we talk about on this show, which is creating a life that is, you know, true to your core, to the fabric of you. And the reason for that being is if we are caught up in obsessing over our bodies, obsessing over what we look like, obsessing over the food that we intake, you know we really stray from our truth, from our values, from the things that light us up, from our purpose here on earth. And it's very, very, very common for folks these days, including myself, including potentially you, to get caught up in these things that when we zoom out, we can almost look down on or we can shame ourselves for especially people like you and I I know you guys again like myself were for the most part quite pensive like we think a lot we know you know ourselves but yet still we can just like everybody else get caught up in things that seem again, zooming out, maybe a little bit, quote unquote, superficial or a little bit, quote unquote, silly. And I kind of honestly wish in retrospect that I'd also talk to Mallory about the sort of shaming of oneself that can come along with this all when you are a little bit aware of what's going on, if you do happen to be having a difficult relationship with your food or your body. Um, because I do think that it's un an unfortunate layer that just tackles on to this like difficult 
period of one's life if this is again something that you're going through because at the end of the day yeah just like shaming oneself is never really helping whatsoever and so I guess since we didn't talk about it I'll just state that because I definitely have never found in my life whether it was with food and body or whether it was with my career or whether it was with my relationships I have never ever found that it was helpful when I realized I was let's say living out of alignment doing something I didn't quite think that I was very proud of and then I shamed myself like never have I ever found that helpful because it's not so if you feel like a lot of what Mallory and I talk about in this episode resonates with you. If you feel like, shoot, like I've got some stuff going on with me and food or me and my body image, then I just want you to show yourself as much compassion as is possible. And just know that even though it can seem at first glance, as I was saying, quote unquote, superficial or silly, these things actually never really are. They always have deeper roots and I love this episode because we get into all of that. We get into how this is all interconnected with the greater web of our lives. And what I will say is this is such a big topic. So if it piques you, if it resonates with you, definitely check out, again, Mallory's podcast, Seems Like Diet Culture. And yeah, I just know that you'll get so much information there if you feel you need it. This is such a beautiful personal podcast for myself because I and quite a few of my friends, quite a few of my loved ones have just experienced this, have experienced difficulty with this part of our lives. And I just think that the more that we talk about these things, the less stigmatized that they are. So again, I thank Mallory so, so much for coming on. I thank her so much for the work that she's doing. I think she is, again, such a gorgeous light. You guys are going to absolutely adore her if you don't already know her. And with that, my loves, I hope that you enjoy this episode with the beautiful Mallory Page. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I am Mallory Page. I am a registered dietitian. I always say that I'm a food freedom dietitian only because of the fact that, first of all, the word dietitian is kind of misunderstood. A lot of people don't know what it is, which makes sense to me. I mean, why are we not just called nutritionists? Who knows? But then oftentimes when people think of dietitian, then they also wonder what I'm going to do. You know, am I someone that wants to control their food and tell them rules and tell them to go on a diet? And that's always why I specify that I focus on the food freedom element of it, helping people to break free of rules and all of those good things that we'll talk more about today. So that's what I do. I help women all over the world because I work virtually, work through their disordered eating struggles and I do that also on different platforms, social media sites and everything, but I'm currently based in Austin, Texas in the US and me and my partner have lived here for a little while now and my cat and my dog, obviously the highlights of my life Yeah, <laughs> are here with us. Fixtures of anyone who doesn't already know, but fixtures I feel of your podcast seems like diet culture, which I absolutely adore. I, I feel like they, they are little characters that come in and out. <laughs> Yes, they definitely make their presence very known. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And and yeah, and I and I really do think I don't know, it's it's interesting because a lot of people speak to what you speak to, but you have a gift and I don't know, I'm sure people have told you, but 
um, you're very entertaining and yet you also share so much, um, that really helps people. I mean, I've been there with it. I don't know, to be honest, I actually don't know a woman who hasn't had something, you know, going on with food at some point in their life. So I just think it's really great that we can have you and people like you who make education of this stuff sort of like fun. Cause it doesn't always have to be, you do talk about serious things, but it doesn't always have to be so like, um, I don't know, dark, not that dark is bad, but if you know what I mean, you have like, um, you do have this warm energy too. So I think it really does help you kind of like convey deeper topics for people. Well, that's really nice of you to say. I always hope that because I feel one of the things that keeps people from wanting to do this work is the fact that it feels kind of intense, even dark. And the other side of it, the more kind of wellness or diet culture side often feels much more alluring. It's Mm -hmm. more accepted. It can seem more fun. It's what everyone talks about. So if we only make the disordered eating or working through this stuff side, feel that kind of intensity and kind of sadness, I don't feel as many people wanting to gravitate towards that. We don't want to gravitate towards those things that often, even if there's purpose to them in certain circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a, that's such a good point. Yeah. And it really does speak to, so, I mean, I could not recommend people checking you out more, but we'll save that all to the end for now. Let's just talk a little bit about you and how you got to this place. I know you have such an interesting story and I love, yeah, how you share it. So. Yeah. I always say that my story is the like, do as I say, not as I do. Not that I'm telling you what to do, but essentially just don't follow in the same tracks because I went about everything in the hardest way that you possibly could. Not saying my life was so hard. I'm just saying I made it hard on myself when Mm -hmm. I didn't need to. I originally wanted to be a dietitian and work with people with, with their struggles. Well, not even their struggles with food and now how I do it, but more in their relationship to food in the sense of like, eat healthier, do this, exercise this way. And that was all the way back to my sophomore year of high school. So that would have been, I guess it's different for you guys, but you're 10 for me. And so when I was in school and kind of decided that it became not only my whole purpose in the sense of, okay, well now this is what I'm going to do, but also my whole self in the way that I started to become that person that I wanted to be with food and I wanted others to be now. The reason why I went into that then, as you can tell, is not a great one because from there I developed worsening disordered eating and later on an eating disorder and exercise obsession and body dysmorphia, but I didn't realize for so long. I mean, I was in denial. It wasn't even that I was aware though, you know, we hear about the denial phase and we think, Oh no, like that just means that, you know, something's wrong. No, I was not even there yet. It was full blown. Like I didn't even think it was a problem until I got more into college. And I think it was around the early part of my sophomore year of college where I started to recognize this was seriously an issue, but that point I went fully into denial. (laughs) You know, what's so interesting is like, looking back, it's almost like, or maybe you could explain, but I'm curious as to why you think you didn't notice, like, how were you feeling? And, or also maybe part and parcel with that question is clearly everything that we do, we don't do them for no reason. So like there's some sort of benefit to the whole situation that 
that was going on. I don't know what part of the story this was where you weren't aware if it was just disorder, if it was a full-blown um, eating disorder or where exactly you were. But um, what, yeah, I guess there's two questions there. One, like, why don't you think that you were aware? And two, do you think it was benefiting you at that point? Yeah, it's a really good question because I do agree with you that I think there's this duality to everything that we experience, the positive and the negative, even to something that can be harmful to us. And really the reason why I was doing this stuff, although it was unknown to me at the time, was because it was a coping mechanism. I had just endured so much stress over time and then some more sprinkled in acute traumas that... I was just not dealing with and in denial about those specifically. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to engage in these habits, the way that they serve me and many of my other clients, even if they don't know at the time, is to be able to avoid the emotions, to not have to deal with it. And also we have to give ourselves grace that when we're so young, we don't often know the tools to be able to deal with it, especially if our parents or the people that we're looking to, to give us examples, don't, don't utilize positive coping mechanisms hmm. and skills. Sure. So I think that those are the things that not only benefited me, but also led me to not even recognizing it was a problem because I was just so drawn away from my own emotions that I had no idea what I was even feeling or doing. Hmm. Yeah, that's hard. And so you said that it was the start of college or was it like partway through that you became aware it's and whether you're going through this with food or whether it's depression like I remember having a hard time and then like very in retrospect depressed but I didn't know and it's really interesting when you look back years later and you're like how didn't I know like it's just kind of confusing in your brain you're like there was a blindfold on so yeah I'd love to hear you speak on that I was totally the same type of person with the blindfold on and I didn't recognize until probably my second year of college, I would say maybe a few months in, I had also just gone through a breakup too. So I feel like that kind of started to push it a little bit to my realizations or to make it into a realization, but I would say my freshman year. So the first year of college that I had was the worst my eating disorder had been too. So it was kind of in this upward trajectory of reaching its peak in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. How were you, um, how were you feeling at that time? Like, was it that you noticed that you were getting stressed, that it was affecting certain areas of your life or what do you credit? Do you remember, was there like a moment or was it like an overarching period of time or? I think it was more overarching and it was also because of all of the different lifestyle choices that I was making at this point in time. I was such a perfectionist and that was one of my coping strategies. Mm -hmm. I would always say that I'm a recovering perfectionist because I always have to keep in mind not falling back into that mm -hmm. pattern. But the beauties of that are that I was able to succeed and do really well in school. And on the outside, I looked like I was able to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of it, when I started, when I went through that breakup and I started to go out and party, I didn't do that almost at all my freshman year or in high school. I would also take that to the extreme. So mm -hmm. I felt like I was pushing my body in every possible way. 
And in the past, it had more been just in that area of food and exercise. But when I started to push every single thing in my life to the limit, my job, my school, my like relationships, everything, it started to reveal the areas that I couldn't maintain with the same ease. And I think in doing that, I was able to notice, oh, wow, maybe these food habits are a little extreme and hard to maintain more so than I thought. And I think that started to reveal the intensity of the rules that I was holding. Wow. Yeah. I can only, I can only imagine. Did it feel, um, yeah, I'm just trying to like, does it make you, does it feel daunting in that moment to, to have these sort of realizations and like, okay, what do I have to do? Or is there, perhaps another coming up of like sort of like denial because it's like oh my god I don't I don't really want to deal with this this is a lot and I still have to do school and I still have all these things like it was totally daunting for me I didn't deal with it I mean I started to and this is slightly jumping ahead but when I started to deal with it was when I went abroad actually I went on this abroad trip and that was the time when I actually started to allow myself to have more freedom. But even when I realized my sophomore year, I tried to implement these elements of freedom. So one of the breakthrough moments for me was when I went on this trip to Las Vegas, we do these like weekenders basically. And I went with this guy that I knew that was my friend and we woke up super late and we had to go out later on. This is like such a college thing, right? And I remember <laughs> we didn't have time. So we ran across the street and he was like, we just have to get pizza. We don't have time to get anything else. I, meanwhile, hadn't eat, eaten pizza in years and years. I was freaking out, but I was like, I don't care. I'm going to do it. So I would have these moments of revelations where I was able to push through things that I hadn't been able to do and break these really strict rules. Yeah. But then I would spiral backwards. So then I would go back to being super strict. And I was really in this roller coaster of up and downs mm -hmm. until more towards that abroad trip. But then I had that same spiral after that. So it really went in that roller coaster for many years. I mean, not, yeah, honestly, probably like two years even since that point. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard because um, when we become more aware of, of, of things that we're struggling with, it's very often that we judge ourselves or shame ourselves. And I'm like, why can't I just get over this? And when we don't have help, it can feel just like we're completely stuck in, in our heads. And then everything that that's going on, whether it, again, whether it's with food or whether it's um, being completely obsessed with work and not knowing how to step away from that. And I mean, I, I don't know how, like, again, it seems like everyone I know has something. Um, everyone's like working on something. Maybe they're at a good place with it, but there's been something that they were human beings trying to move through life. And so we attach to certain things. And, but what was like the, dialogue whether it's like inner dialogue or outer dialogue that you had to talk to yourself whatever it is how did that kind of go for you and how did you sort of move through that difficult time to begin to recover the dialogue was so up and down because it would fluctuate based off of not only how I was feeling but what I was doing the environment I was in mm -hmm. so it could sound like 
maybe when I'm going out and it's the weekend, oh, it's fine. You can have the pizza. It's not a big deal. You don't need to stress about it. And then it would be on Monday and I would be feeling awful and I would be beating myself up. How could you do that? You're supposed to be healthy. You're supposed to be this. And there was a huge piece for me that was identity based that I was struggling with of letting go of that piece. I didn't realize that at the time. I just thought it was me kind of wanting to be quote unquote healthy. Although as you can already tell, as I'm explaining this, clearly my behaviors were not healthy, (laughs) but I still felt that desire. So it really continued that way throughout my second and third year of college. There wasn't a ton of movement. It was just continuing to take steps forward and then steps backward and landing back and around the same place. And Mm -hmm. I would like to say that I had this moment of realization that was really profound and that made me just recognize I needed to get help. But in reality, I just absolutely hit a rock bottom and I was unable to move forward in the same fashion. I was I was hospitalized for mental health issues, not in like having to go somewhere specifically for that, but because I was having these physical symptoms that were so intense that was really my body trying to say hey idiot you have to stop yeah. <laughs> doing this oh man um yeah. and that was really the point where i recognize you can't do this anymore and it wasn't even that i recognize specifically the food piece or the mental health piece it was that i recognized that obviously what i was doing at that time it wasn't working anymore i couldn't keep doing it mm-hmm. and that was kind of the moment where then I decided to change, unfortunately, which shows my extremist tendencies, my personality clearly. Oh yeah. I completely resonate with that. And it's, it's interesting. I always wonder sometimes like how much of this is biology and how much is it like, you know, the way that we've been nurtured, because it does seem like there are certain people and maybe, you know, about this, given your line of work and everything, it does seem like some people can be like, whatever this, like, I'm going to go super extreme this week. And then tomorrow I'm totally fine. And other people are like, I must stick to this. It's almost like obsessive, um, compulsive tendencies that tend to exist, but I'm actually curious, do you know about that? Is that something biological? If that's in your repertoire? I feel like it's an element of both, but I will say that I do think there are genetic components that can contribute because (laughs) I do see both types of clients in my work. And there are times where I can very clearly notice, oh, okay, they're explaining this about their family and how their family viewed things and they're viewing things the same way. Mm. So you can notice that tie. But then there's other times where you can just recognize that it's not any other external factor that's really contributing to that. Mm. It's just that person's own internal standards. And there are so many actual diagnosable challenges. You know, they could have autism, they could have OCD, they could have um, anxiety that's manifesting in that way. But then there's also the things that don't even necessarily need to be diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And they just are a part of the way that we're made up and can be, again, that duality, a really great skill or a really big challenge. They can be both simultaneously. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I keep having this conversation about just so many facets of life and how things can be two things at once. And I think it's so powerful. Again, no matter what you're speaking of, if you can hold these two things together in your mind, because 
it almost, it prevents us from like throwing the baby out with the bathwater in so many situations. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. So yeah. So then for, for yourself and where you were at, where, how did you, how did you go from there? How did you take it from, oh yeah, that I'm so sorry that you went through that, that you were in the hospitalization moment. Um, but coming up from there. Yeah. Yeah. Again, was not traditional as I should have gotten more direct support, but I did have a therapist at this time that was helpful to me and just started to seek some of that support. And then I wish I had worked with a dietitian too. I had a big mental block with that, not only financially. So I guess there's a physical and a mental block, but Mm -hmm. I really felt like I should be able to do it on my own because I was studying this stuff. Mm. Although that's such a silly way to think because it's just not the case. Mm. So I had that support, but then it was also just totally changing the way that I was living. So at first it was noticing the drinking habits and the way that I was utilizing that. It was the way that I was in school and the intensity that I was going at it with and the way that I was sheltering pretty much every emotional experience I had from the people in my life and never shared anything. Uh So all those things I was evaluating, but then it also was with the food and starting to try and break away from all of these really strict rules. And my process was really long. It was kind of just multiple years of me doing that. My junior, like my third year, fourth year, and up through my internship in the first part. But at the same time, that's kind of the process that you go through in a way is when you have an eating disorder or a struggle so severe, which honestly, most people do, even if it's not as severe in that presentation, it's often severe in the way that it can affect us just holistically, then you do really have to look through all the areas of your life, not just the one in order to really fully heal. So that's part of my methodology with the clients I work with now but it also contributed to the work that I did on my own healing journey as well. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, I can only imagine you going through that on your own. Um, kudos to you. That must've been quite the, quite the long journey and also keeping yourself accountable. And there's just so much in there that, um, I hope that you're so proud of, and I'm sure you are, but that's just, yeah, it's really amazing to, to hear that. I mean, given that, um, you decided to go into this line of work clearly at this point you're like okay there's a better what better way for other people and that would be working with people like yourself or perhaps specifically with yourself did you ever have any um or did you always know you want to stay in the field did was there any trepidation with being in there or how did that kind of pan out that's part of the funny journey to all of this is that all throughout undergrad. So all throughout my years in college and university, I was studying sports and I had all this experience in it, of course, because I take everything again to the extreme. (laughs) So I was like, had this job lined up that I could have done right out of my internship, which is what you have to do after college as a dietitian. And I was in this rotation and I just all of a sudden had this realization partially aligned with the fact that I was very close to recovery at this early part of my internship. 
And I essentially was like, I don't want to be in sports. Like I'm not making the impact. I want to work with all these athletes that are coming in telling us about their disordered eating. It's very, very prevalent in that field, Mm -hmm. obviously. So from that moment on, of course, I changed everything. So I decided I'm not going to go into that. I changed my final rotation that I was going to do. And from that point, I did know that I wanted to work in this. And I had built my Instagram community. They had kind of followed along my journey in a way. So there were many people that aligned with struggling with food to a certain Mm -hmm. extent, or at least wanting to just improve their relationship with food. So that led me to knowing I wanted to do this, especially as I knew that I was right on the precipice at that point of total recovery. So I knew by the time that I would wanting to be do that work, be doing that work, I would be recovered so I could lead people in that. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. It's, it's, it's really cool. I absolutely adore that. And did you like speaking to this whole piece with like, as we talked about, like how you can sort of like lose yourself in all of like the thoughts with food or like just whatever tug of war you're, you're doing within your own mind. Um, what, and you actually did a beautiful, I believe it was a reel um, on Instagram about the things that you gained back. I think it's actually pinned to the top of her feed, you guys. Um, I believe it is right. It's like one of the top pinned ones. So. Yeah. Could you speak a little bit to that? Cause I think it's so it's so beautiful and so important and it's also could be really inspiring for anyone who is struggling because it's a bit of a north star in a way really for someone to hold on to themselves and like inside who they are 100 percent. a lot of the work that we do is restructuring your idea of who you are and actually adding in these things that make you who you are and I think that a lot of the time in this field, we talk about the more tangible things that you get back, which are great, right? Such as, oh, I can eat anything I want and I can take rest days and I don't feel so like bad every single day. I'm able to buy clothes in the right size. All those are so awesome. But when you hear those as someone that has not done it for a long time, you're like, okay, cool. I haven't done that for years. Mm -hmm. So I always like to talk about the bigger picture things that we gain back, such as, all of the time that I was constantly spending obsessing about food was now spent working towards better things in my life, either caring for people, doing a job that I cared about. It could be whatever it was, but you weren't wasting it in these circles of things that weren't beneficial to you. It was also being able to go out to eat. Yes, which is great, but go out to eat and listen to people, enjoy the experience, like have the connections, travel and have those types of experiences all of those type of things. Then there's just the simple stuff of how much joy you can have infused in your day that you used to not be able to have, you know, just having your morning coffee and how that can be such a joyful experience instead of the start of stress for you. And even just the way that emotionally you're so much more available in general, like you're able to just not only feel your emotions differently if you go through this journey Mm -hmm. fully, but also Mm -hmm. be in touch with yourself. And so I have such a hard time even making that real. Some of those are even more tangible on there because I can't ramble on and on. (laughs) There are so many different things that I've gained from the point that I used to be that it's hard to even express in a concise way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only imagine it's, it's like your, your, um, your life it's not a 180 it's all like and this is actually what I want to ask you is um, 
did you find yourself reconnecting with like an earlier version of yourself? Like, was there like a homecoming sort of feeling of it? Or did it feel like um, Mallory 3, uh, 3.0 or something like that? <laughs> it was a mix of both because this plagued so much of my teenage and young adulthood years. Oh but I do think that it really did bring me back to that version of yourself. You know, you think about the times you didn't have stress around food and you just didn't think about your body. And even part of my process in healing was that I had different traumatic events that were mixed up and what created the eating disorder. So in that way too, a lot of that type of kind of inner child work that you are doing to reconnect. But then in another way, because it had been such a big part of my young adulthood and I hadn't really experienced myself in a healthy way, it did also feel like that 3.0, which is a good way to put it because you're like, (laughs) okay, wait, I'm also this person that I never have gotten oh. to be before. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, what, what was that like? Like maybe it was just, you know, you choosing to do something different on the weekend. Did you like push yourself to try new things? Was it, you, you mentioned that you, your partner is living with you. I don't know. Was he involved in the picture back then? Um, how did you sort of explore yourself really like it sounds almost like an odd question but how did you go about getting curious about what you like to do or even how you think about something you know especially if you know there is this regimented mind of things are good and things are bad maybe even for all I know that extended to other areas of your life too I'm not sure if that's true but how did you explore like activities but then also like your thought process it's so funny that you asked this because this week in my program, Live Unrestricted, we talk about exactly this because it's mm-hmm. so important. And oftentimes you don't hear many people in this space discuss it to the length that I think it needs to be discussed, at least personally for the people that come to me, because there's such a huge tie between the limiting beliefs that we have, the coping mechanisms that we're using or your reactions, if that's easier to conceptualize and then your hobbies and all of those things contribute to your identity. Mm-hmm. So there's this really interesting connection that I could go on and on about that would take way too long between our coping mechanisms and limiting beliefs, because they both come about from our past experiences, right? right? But if we take those away, we're left with not only all of the emotions that we were suppressing and trying to ignore, but we also feel as if we don't know ourselves and we don't know how to work through challenging situations anymore. So that's a lot to try to take on. So of course we have to implement new strategies to cope, which was a big part of my process. Like, okay, if I'm dealing with stress, how do I work through this in a way that isn't just exercising through the thing and Mm -hmm. enduring it or restricting Mm -hmm. my food? But then on the other hand, there's this whole other process of the fact that our hobbies, and I like to even just say the things that bring us joy and pleasure, which we're not always very good about doing, contribute to our identity. And when we start to build those up and explore them, which I did by being even with my partner who helped me with this, but just going out and doing things that I liked outside of food and exercise and all of that stuff, it helped to really create this fuller picture of remembering not only who I was, but also deciding who I wanted to be. And when you combine all of those things, it's very powerful and fully getting to recovery because 
if you don't have a life that feels worth recovering for or healing for, you're not going to stay in that recovered space. You're just going to want to go backwards because you won't know what to do with all of these emotions that you're having come up. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's really powerful. And that's, um, I think it is so amazing as, I mean, again, you know, this healed well. So if you hadn't seen it being serviced or like at least spoken to in this way, I think it's so, it is so powerful that you, address that because yeah like what a what an incredible thing to look forward to it made me think as you're speaking I wrote down um <laughs> alluring wellness because it made me think of what the vision is that let's say that specific culture would propagate which is kind of also what we're talking about but just using different means and means that maybe some tools will get you there, but then a lot of the ones, and especially the restrictive ones that you speak about in your podcast, um, don't, don't because of the fact that they're restricting your lifestyle and, and maybe not allowing you to be the quote unquote best version of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That's really, that's really powerful. So did you, I mean, tactically speaking when you were looking at yourself and the person that you wanted to be did you have like specific tools or were you just thinking and going for I was gonna say a walk but I mean walks are walks are cool or just like taking a sit in the park or whatever and just thinking about it like how did you kind of like explore your mind there were definitely multiple things that I utilized. For me personally, it was a big part of my practice to start doing things such as meditation and breathing. I know that for some people that doesn't resonate, everyone has different things that work, but I do think that there has to be an element of opening space for your thoughts. You have to be able to do that because we're so... In our society, we're so inundated with constant stimuli that if we can't have moments without it, it's really hard to know what we're actually thinking and feeling. So that is something that was a part of my practice. But I also think that it was identifying the limiting beliefs. Now, this is something more unique to me, but I have a hard time working through things if I don't understand them. So I felt like if I didn't know what type of limiting beliefs I was trying to work through, I wasn't sure then how I would do it. So completely logical. Yeah. How, how do you, yeah. how do you deal with something that you can't even see? It's like that blindfold again, that you can't take off because you can't touch it. <laughs> exactly. So that was definitely something that I was doing as well. But then I think there was also a lot that I was addressing just as an overarching person that I was able to identify more readily, such as perfectionistic tendencies and thinking that everything has to be productive. And those mm. felt very tangible and actionable. So that could be something like, no, today I am going to just sit and watch a TV show that's like a reality TV show that I want to watch for you know, two episodes instead of doing this homework or instead of working on myself or yeah, instead of being quote unquote perfect by doing whatever it may be, right? I'm going to implement this different thing that pushes against that idea. Maybe it was, I don't know, like going to a restaurant without looking at the menu before to like to order the perfect thing, which also right. connected to like my disordered eating, but right. stuff like that, that felt very tangible. That was breaking down my rigid rules, not even just with food, but in all of the areas of my life. So 
that helped me to take away some of the things that I knew weren't a part of what I wanted to be as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, when you said that, I completely, um, like, I just like so relate and I'm thinking of like the, especially like with the productivity piece. And then I'm thinking of moving through that. And then also the anxiety that would come up while you're like, okay, no, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this. Was there anything, did you just have to sit, sit, basically sit in the shit? Like, I don't even know how else to say it. You just have to sit in it and just move through it. Yeah, I do think there is some of that sitting with it. And then part of the process that I discuss is how there's such a big tie between, as I was saying, those things that limit us or those emotions and the Mm -hmm. way that we're acting. So Mm -hmm. I also think that it was identifying the perpetuating reactions that I was having that not only enforced the limiting beliefs or like the challenges and the things about myself, but then also were just generally not good for me to be doing. So it was things such as like, okay, yeah, I believe that I'm not lovable if my body isn't this size, for example. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's really hard and overwhelming to think about working through, right? Yes, you can Mm -hmm. sit in that emotion. You can think, okay, why do I think this? What happened in my childhood or from society? You can give yourself mental reframes of how to get over the first hump of working through that. Mm -hmm. But then it's also recognizing, okay, but I'm I'm instilling that and perpetuating that because every time I have a bad body image day, Mm -hmm. I start changing the way I eat and exercising more. Or for me too, I was using it as a general coping mechanism. So, oh, I'm having a stressful day. Well, now I'm not as hungry, quote unquote, and Mm -hmm. I need to work out more for my mental health. And so it was both sitting with it and then also acknowledging the places that I was still almost in denial of like, oh, well, no, this is just like something I do. Like I just use these Mm -hmm. things. It's like, no, those are the exact things that are causing this problem. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that speaks to like the whole identity again, getting conflated a little bit with, um, with, with symptoms really that aren't, aren't actually who, who you are just, it's sort of like a bypass in a way. It's like, yeah, no, like, you know, I'm somebody who always gets things done. Like, I don't, this is such a stupid, but like, I'm thinking actually, I just thought of my dad because like, he always likes to get his like files and stuff prepared for the week on like Sunday night or whatever. So it's like this like productivity thing again. So I'm just thinking like, you know, I'm this person that always does this on Sunday night to prep for the week. And like, and that's just quote unquote, who, who I am. I, I mean, my, that was a horrible example because my dad is not an extreme, like he doesn't hold on to extremes. He doesn't have this thing, but like, if that was me and that was my ritual, then it would be hard for me to let go of. Cause I'd be like, Oh no, but like, this is what I do. And like letting go of that would be a whole thing. I'd be like, Oh, I guess it's fine <laughs> not to do that. Totally. Okay. That's, that's cool. So, okay. So you said that you moved through this mostly well, and it sounds like entire, entirely, pretty much it was self-directed. Um, but now you leave this program and it's called Live Unrestricted, right? You mentioned it, mm-hmm. but it's a group program as far as I know, right? Yeah. So what are the benefits that either you've experienced yourself or you've just guided people through and like being with other people through this process and maybe by contrast to perhaps what you experienced as like a solo uh, what is it called? The lone wolf kind of moving through this time. 
There are different tiers or different segments, I would say, to going through it on your own, which I wouldn't suggest. That's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it. I think sometimes people are like, well, you did it on your own. So why do you try to convince people they need help? And I'm like, because I did it on my own. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Like it is not the way to go. So there's that element that I never suggest, but I always still try to speak to in the sense that some people financially, you know, they can't fully get that support, but then there's working with people one-on-one, just like me and them. I did that. I had tons of sessions like that. It helped me to shape my group program. It's not the same though, in the sense that yes, you can get more targeted on specific things that you're dealing with. And there Mm -hmm. is time and space for that, especially in a more therapeutic, like a therapy capacity too. But when it comes to what I do, I've never seen transformations quite like when you have both a professional. So I'm there in the group. I have two other dietitians in the group with me, but also you have community because The thing about specifically eating disorders and disordered eating is that they thrive in isolation, but they also feed off of others. So Mm -hmm. even if they are thriving in isolation, such as, Ooh, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to do these things and I'm not going to tell anyone. They Mm -hmm. also really like go to the worst extents when there's people in your life that are telling you, well, I'm on this diet or I'm doing this thing, right? Uh We all know this as Mm -hmm. women for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So being Mm -hmm. in a community of people that are going through this journey, not only to understand what you're dealing with that you don't feel isolated and, or some people genuinely feel like they're crazy and they're totally alone, Mm -hmm. but then also to have that motivation from someone else that's doing it. It's just the best combination that I've ever personally found, especially for the clientele that I'm working with too. That's so beautiful. And I'm sure it happens a lot. And you just mentioned it that, well, also you kind of speak about it very broadly in your podcast with um, the concept of diet culture and it being a culture that we're swimming in. And it's, it kind of feels like the whole world. I mean, I'm sure there's some places I don't know there, there's I'm sure there's some places in the world where maybe things are a little bit more um sweet but um whether it's just the culture at large or whether it's people's parents mothers sisters best friends uh boyfriends mom you know whatever um what do you advise people or how do you reckon that they actually cope with that situation because it could be a little sticky if they're not people you can just be like cutting you out of my life we talk about this a lot because it is really hard and one of the lenses that I use in the program and I use this more specifically with body image but it honestly applies to the whole thing it's just that body image feels the least tangible oftentimes is Mm -hmm. that We discuss it in the language of grief and the fact that as you're going through this, you are truly grieving, whether it be a version of yourself, a version of your body, uh, the thin ideal, the wellness ideal, right? There's so many different things that we could talk about it within. And so we're partially implying, applying this process of allowing ourselves to feel the emotions, feel Mm. the denial, feel the anger, feel the sadness, allow yourself to go through that. Now to get more tangible with it, we do a lot of coaching on how to interact with people and having what I like to call a toolkit of responses in Mm -hmm. order to navigate conversations that could feel really triggering that would set us back. Because 
I always use the example of like the grandma that you have that's 85 years old that keeps commenting. She's never going to change her mind. You could sit there and argue with her if you want, just if that's something you think would be helpful to you, but it's not worth it. You know, it's not going to change how she interacts with you in this scenario. No, no, no. I literally have this grandmother. She says, (laughs) she says after we, after we eat, okay, now it's time to go for a run. She's kind of joking, but I like, it's also like her line. She says it almost every time so it you know it kind of gets in there and it's like well she I think she's actually 85 now so what are you what you gonna do like it's been a lifetime (laughs) exactly and it doesn't you don't want to resent this person you don't want to cut your grandmother out of your life at least in this example we're talking about right yeah so we kind of figure out how to mentally I would almost say just kind of deal with that situation without even commenting like we set ourselves up to be able to recognize it's their projection it doesn't mean anything about us But then there's other times where it is more important to know how to respond. You know, it could be a friend that is always talking negatively about themselves or maybe commenting on what you do. And you can say something like, you know, hey, I I just don't feel comfortable discussing these things. Or you could be even more gentle and just change the subject every time it comes up. And it's interesting because I have such a skewed perception of this because the people in my life don't talk about this stuff at all. And I always say, I don't know if it's because they know how I am or Uh it's because they're not interested in it. So I don't know, but I do think that no matter what, the way that people communicate with you will change, especially Mm -hmm. if they're a positive person in in your life that cares about you Mm -hmm. as you set up your own boundaries, but they can't set boundaries for you and they can't know what you're thinking. So, yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. And I guess one of the last things, I mean, I am just looking at the clock. I'm, I'm kind of shocked, but because I feel like I could ask you so many things. Um, but if somebody like, wanted to like maybe this is actually I didn't mean to do this as like a plug to your program but actually it it kind of fits perfectly because what I was going to say is like if somebody wasn't sure and they were thinking because you said that somebody might be like well I can move through this on my own is there like again and like this isn't this isn't a plug but it's really just like I'm just trying to think like is there questions one should ask oneself like maybe I'm in this place where this is the time um yeah just what do you what do you think about that that's a great question and I think it depends on where you're at so first of all just to give the disclaimer out of the way if you're someone that you can tell and people in your life are also possibly saying or you can just see that your habits are super extreme Mm -hmm. and you're pretty suspecting of the fact you have an eating disorder. It's not, you have to get help. I mean, you really need to get that support and you'll know, I mean, you will be obsessing about it. It will infiltrate your life in so many ways. It will be affecting your relationships. The way that you look at food will be super, super challenging. It it will be very obvious if you're struggling with this. Mm -hmm. Now, Being obvious and convincing yourself that it's serious are two different things. You may be Mm -hmm. telling yourself, oh no, I'm not sick enough. But all of those things that I just said, if you're noticing those, it doesn't matter how sick you think you are, you still need that support. So that's one thing. Now, a lot of the people that I deal with are, of course, maybe someone that has had an eating disorder before, or they still are struggling with it to an extent, but they may have just been a chronic dieter or struggled with disordered eating or like, you know, they just want to heal their relationship with food. And they're not always as severe 
that like the first group we're talking about, but that's actually harder because they're most of the time in the in-between. And I would say most women in, honestly, I know for sure America, but I think a lot of places, especially developing countries or developed countries, um, they're in this space. And the problem with it is it's super easy to convince yourself that you're fine. But Mm. a lot of those things that I've mentioned are the things that you need to ask yourself. Like, okay, how often am I thinking about this? Are food and exercise in my body affecting other areas of my life? How I'm able to socialize, maybe my job, my relationships, all of those type of things. Do I have rigid rules or even just expectations around food? Do I find myself utilizing certain things as a type of punishment or as a way to make up for stuff? All of those type of things that I'm mentioning, if at any point your relationship with food and body image and exercise is affecting your life negatively, it needs to be worked on. And so we have to tune into those things. But then also the big question that I love to ask people is, how would you feel if in the future you wanted to have kids and they were having the same relationship with food as you do right now? And Mm -hmm. you were the one passing that on. And also, how would you feel if in five, 10, even a year, like a year, five, 10, 50 years from now, you're still in the same place because I literally work with women that are 80 years old that have just thought this was going to go away. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. It's, it's, it's really heartbreaking. It's almost like hard to, I, I always kind of do this thing where I like half laugh when I'm like, it's hard to believe, like it's hard to, to, to grasp. Cause when you put it like that, it, it is so powerful that I'm, my brain just goes, Whoa, like that's, that, that can be life. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you so much for that. And is, yeah, I'm just, is there, is there anything new that's coming up for you? Is this the program? Is this your, um, I mean, I know this is your program. This is like one of your cornerstones. Is there anything else that is going on right now? Also, oh yeah, that was the thing. Cause something came to my mind that I wanted to say to you, but the inspiration behind your podcast, because again, it, I do just think that you're so good. I, I, I can't even, I wish I could put words to it, but you're really good at just relaying tons of information in such a fun um, in digestible way. So what inspired you to start that? And, and then, yeah, if there's anything else coming up with your programs or whatnot. Yeah. I wanted to do a podcast that I felt like was almost the opposite of what we hear about wellness culture. And I'm not trying to say that all of podcasts that talk about wellness culture are bad at all, but you know how you go to a wellness culture podcast and you're listening and they may be sharing information, but it kind of feels fun or like it's interesting to listen to. And it makes the topic sound more alluring and like you want to partake in it, which can be positive or negative. It depends, right? Like, so I wanted to almost do that in the opposite sense with things that were diet culture and say like, okay, well, if we can talk about wellness culture, other things in this way, we can talk about diet culture and other things in this way. And that was kind of where it was, was born from. And also because as I worked with clients, I realized that there were these questions that I answered a lot. Like Mm. they would see something on Instagram and they'd be like, Oh, you know, like, is this diet culture? And I thought, why not just have something that I could literally send to them so that I could explain it in a more in-depth way with the research behind it. But also as a dietitian, I always feel that my duty is to look at the actual science as well and like share the research and not just say, oh, you know, for example, keto, 
keto is good or bad, right? Well, keto is developed for epileptic children. So we can't say it's all of a sudden good or bad, but we can talk about the research, what we've seen about it and how it can affect people too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My cousin actually, when he was little had epilepsy. So I actually knew that like way back in the day as like a young person, like, and, and, and it is so powerful for, um, you know, young kids, but anyway, um, as a final question to that, is there a specific episode? Do you recommend people to start with like number one or what's like one that comes to mind that like you love or was insightful to you or just fun to record or. I love that question. I do find that many people, if they're not familiar with my story, which you already kind of got a glimpse of it, they like to start with, I think it's like my second podcast that talks about my journey just because they then get an idea of it. But outside of that, a very long throwback podcast, I think it's like number five or seven is the gut health podcast. A lot of people really like that one. It's like, um, the gut health community has been lying to you or it's something Mm -hmm. like that. Wow. And then- (laughs) More recently, people have loved the Ozempic episode because there's a lot Mm -hmm. going on about that. And Mm -hmm. also the um, more kind of conversation-based ones about Bella Hadid, the Mm -hmm. rise of like the heroin chic again, all of that type of stuff. So those three, I've heard a lot of feedback on, but there's honestly little like whatever kind of segment you're looking for, whether it be body image, exercise, gut health, there's always one podcast that could fit. So you can think, see what makes the most sense for you. I love that. I had no idea, obviously, about your original why, but I would just, so that's why I think it's amazing that that was my exact impression of your show, which is basically the reason that you started it. So I just think like massive kudos, you totally hit the nail on the head with what you were trying to do. Um, So yeah, I would definitely recommend people check out um, those episodes or whatever calls to them. And then, yeah, finally, what about yourself and anything one-on-ones? Are you still doing those at this point or no? Mostly I do live on a I have like every now and again, I'll take a couple one-on-one clients, but they're not necessarily directly advertised. It's typically like if someone needs extra support outside of live unrestricted as well, we can yes. add those on. But yeah, we talked a ton about Live Unrestricted, even if it was inadvertently. And Mm -hmm. it's really for the woman that I was speaking about that's in that middle ground. I always say it's for the woman that's not at the worst place I've ever been, but not at the place they want to be. They want to achieve that freedom, not even just with food, but with exercise, their relationship to their body. And honestly, just have a better life. That's always my end goal is thinking about how your life is going to look. I mean, yes, we do all of the other things with food, but it's a really powerful program. Of course, this will be my eighth group. So I've been able to narrow it down, but like the topics when we talk about, but I feel like I can't even take credit for how amazing it is because the community is what makes it so special. And we specifically cultivate that. So I could go on and on about it, but I won't talk everyone's (laughs) ear off. And (laughs) In terms of new things, I have a program coming out now that's actually teaching professionals and practitioners how Mm. to work with people in the capacity that I do. So how to work with those struggling with disordered eating, even eating disorders, but not like the really extreme ones I was discussing, help people heal their relationship with food. And that's launching actually when we're recording it. Um, So I'm super excited about that because I think it it's a really big hole in the marketplace of like how to work with these type of people. So 
yeah, those are the things I'm super excited about right now. Oh my God. Well, huge congrats. That's so exciting. Um, yeah, just thank you so much. I honestly can't believe how quickly the time just flew with you, but I know (laughs) I had a feeling it would. Thank you so much for joining us on the North Star podcast. I am so grateful for your time and your presence. If you want to chime in on the conversation, you can send me a DM at MacBalcastro on Instagram. I mean it when I say that I'm really always happy to hear from you, be it with regards to your insights gleaned from this episode or with regard to your own unfolding journey at large. I do believe that we each have our own North Star and it's our duty to do the inner work to get to know ourselves so that we can live in harmony with our souls, carry out our calling, and serve others with the gifts we have each been uniquely blessed with in this lifetime. Thank you again for joining us and I'll see you next time.